Hello and welcome to the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast shares these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy today's episode. Uh, my name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Tracy and Andy Parks, Lee and Celie Campbell. We are in Campbell Lane Winery. Uh, it's April 6, 2022. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Uh, as far as uh, the, the, the property, we, we bought the property back in the 60s and, and, uh, um, and initially uh, one of my partners in uh, in, in ophthalmology was uh, uh, um, went uh, uh, to um, Texas to to get a his residency and and uh, when he came back uh, he was looking at a little lot uh, uh, down in West Lynn by the river and and. And I said, well, Bob, you know, with that amount of money for that little lot, I said, you can get a nice big spread up on, on a place called Peach Mountain. <laughs> and um, I've been buying property up there. Uh, I had a, a, um, a real estate man that, that uh, uh, told him, I said, if you see a, a bargain price of uh, on any of that up there, I'd like I'd be interested. And I don't want to see, I don't want to see every listing you have. And so uh, uh, when this property came up, um, um, I was well aware of where it was and what it was, and and uh, I was able to uh, pick it up and and then ask Bob if he'd like. That piece that he liked so much up there, and and, and didn't get around to putting the money down on it. Uh, um, 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 if he still had some uh, a desire for it, and he and he said, "Oh yeah," he said, "I just too slow," and, and somebody else bought me out. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, we ended up. Uh, uh, him coming up and building a house right next door uh, here and I said and I told him I said if you just pick a spot anywhere on the, on the property and and have your home and when our children are, are out of the house and in Oswego uh, we'll come up and join you <laughs> and that's how we got here uh, his idea of developing the property was uh, uh, to have a Christmas tree farm, and we tried that, and uh, um, um, after five years of of nourishment before you have any kind of a harvest, and and all the costs and maintenance that is to, to develop a, uh, your end result is is uh, 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 pretty. Uh, if you're lucky, it's a, it's a wash, uh, and becomes a hobby. And I thought, I've got better hobbies in mind. I thought, 
I kind of like to get into some winemaking and and uh, I'd rather grow grapes and 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 lose money rather than than uh, Christmas trees and that I can't drink and and, and uh, so uh, uh, we started out as amateurs uh, Celie and I planted uh, hand planted uh, uh, two 2.4 uh, 2.65 uh, 2.65 yeah uh, acres right up here underneath the power lines and uh, and and hand watered them and and said said uh, uh, yo-yo and you're on your own <laughs> and uh, uh, that's how it all started yeah uh, what, what year was that that was in night in the late seventies, uh, uh, yeah, and uh, and then our our youngest child, uh, Tracy, uh, 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 was finally out of the the house, uh, 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 so that we could come up here and and build this house. Our son, by that time, designed. The, the house as a passive solar home, and and uh, uh, we moved into here uh, uh, in '79, yeah, in 1979, and uh, so we were on the the uh, the property, uh, uh, Celie and I, and and uh, learning how to uh, raise grapes from some outstanding individuals who are already here, uh, uh, Dick Ponzi and, and uh, Dick and Nancy uh, were great mentors and, and uh, Joe and, and uh, Pat Campbell uh, uh, were also great mentors and, and uh, there was a number of, of individuals that started the industry and, and uh, and showed that Oregon could grow a good Pinot Noir, and uh, and so uh, because of the, their guidance, we um, eventually got uh, 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 into it in earnest, uh, and it turned in from a turn from a hobby into a to a, an outright. Uh, uh, way of life that uh, we enjoyed very muchly uh, with uh, members of the Oregon Wine Brotherhood uh, uh, was a, a great organization that uh, uh, kind of brought together uh, uh, individuals from from the whole state and uh, uh, at that time, we limited our membership to the Oregon Wine Brotherhood to somewhere around 210, uh, uh, mainly because it was uh, it was difficult to find a place to have an assemblage uh, <laughs> that could house uh, any any outfit larger than that, mm -hmm. and and Paul Hart. Uh, uh, and uh, 
another pole and and several uh, um, great uh, members uh, um, uh, took over the reins and, and I developed that into still a uh, an excellent uh, uh, wine history source and you probably already have uh, met with them Paul Hart mm -hmm. especially uh, Rich was saying that um, the last two years there have been students at Linfield that have received the scholarship mm -hmm. from the Brotherhood Good. that yeah. put them to the school. Now that Linfield has a wine studies program, the Brotherhood has been very, very helpful and Good. very generous in helping support our students. Good. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a, um, you'd think that Oregon State was, would lead the, uh, uh, the industry, but actually, uh, it was a little uh, Chemectica mm -hmm. was, uh, at least in our day, was the, the most endearing uh, educational post mm -hmm. uh, in Oregon, and and, uh, and in fact, uh, uh, we dedicated the library there uh, as the uh, from the Oregon Wine Brotherhood and. Um, Anyhow, uh, uh, and I, all I, all I ever did was, uh, 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 was a, uh, a member of the cadre, and I kind of ran things and, and, uh, and listened to, to uh, the wisdom of those uh, before and, and, and since, <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. and, uh, it was a nice experience. Dad, I was remembering, um, and I'm not sure I can get it right, but I believe you had originally wanted to plant Pinot Noir and then hadn't been able to get that rootstock, and you oh, were at yeah, that, somebody's birthday party. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, that was with Paul Hart. and uh, I didn't know him, he didn't know me, but... but uh, um, uh, I was looking for, for the best rootstock on Pinot Noir and, and Chardonnay. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the other individuals there at the party said he happened to have uh, uh, a, I think it was 3,000 vines of, of Pinot Gris. And I wasn't uh, uh, familiar with that. Uh, uh, and he's one thing led to another, and I said, I have a couple of acres, I have it all uh, ready to plant, and and uh, and like some of the sessions you have at midnight and later with all the guys uh, congregate in the kitchen and and uh, tell wild stories about fishing and hunting and and I kind of figured this might be in the same vintage. <laughs> Sunday morning uh, about six o'clock in the morning there there was a guy at the door and he says um, I work for Paul Hart and I'm here to take a look at your property because uh, it's just about the right amount for that uh, number of vines that he has. And so anyhow, 
Healy and I went down and kicked the stones around, and and uh, it was on Wednesday of that week uh, we were planting his Pinot Gris, and I was scrambling around to find a, whatever information I could find about Pinot Gris, and found out it was Rolander in Germany and and uh, Pinot Grigio in Italy, and and uh, so. Uh, um, that was the start. Bare vines, uh, no overhead watering or anything. And uh, uh, as we said in the military and, and the Naval Air Corps, uh, a yo yo, I mean, yeah, you're on your own. And uh, so the vines, uh, we've never had irrigation uh, other than hand irrigation. Uh, uh, just, just the start, and so the vines have uh, uh, root systems that are mm -hmm. quite deep because we have had some dry, dry weather's that uh, uh, this vineyard has survived. And mm -hmm. and I remember talking with the the uh, French people. They said that uh, 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 they had some vines that uh, had root systems that were 40 feet deep. Uh, and that uh, there's just some quality to the grapes that's, uh, I guess, the minerals that they're able to seek out at that depth uh, without uh, overhead watering uh, uh, makes uh, just a, a certain desirable uh, uh, characteristic for winemakers. And uh, so we never had any real trouble at all selling our grapes once they got uh, uh, around the valley enough for people to know about them. And because uh, 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 most of the, the knowledgeable winemakers wanted them. <laughs> so they, um, uh, uh, the thought of, uh, of carrying on and uh, uh, and and winemaking for for me was kind of um, I still was an ophthalmologist and active practice uh, uh, just didn't have the time mm -hmm. and I didn't think the finances either till I heard about this uh, special uh, way of financing okay. <laughs> um, vineyard management company so probably what the thing that's interesting is so. That interaction of being introduced to Paul Hart led to that first 2.65 acres, which our understanding, I don't know if it was Paul or somebody said was the largest planting of Pinot Gris in the nation at that time. Um, it was the largest planting. It wasn't the first planting of Pinot Gris right. in the United in Oregon. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, but it was the largest. In the and Dad's, um, so the vineyard, is under uh, the the LLC is Stone Ridge Vineyard. That's um, dad is is still uh, dad and mom um, own Stone Ridge Vineyard, and um, then kept expanding as there were more and more buyers for the grapes um, exclusively in Pinot Gris. And you probably have a story about why you named it Stone Ridge. <laughs> That's easy. Yeah, all I gotta do is turn the soil down there and see all the stones they grow. And the amazing thing about it is that 
you go in, you clear out all those stones, and you think, oh, that's done. And doggone things grow more stones. And the next year, they, they do. They, uh, something happens. I don't know whether it's a gravity, uh, uh, negative gravity, or what uh, moves those stones up to the surface. And uh, every year, you can go down and harvest a, uh, all the truckloads of stones you want. Huh. Yeah. Unless you're going Pinot Noir, and then you, yeah. well, you move them, but you don't necessarily have to. <laughs> yeah. So you, I remember a story too, like when you were hand clearing this, um, there's a big PGE power line mm -hmm. that comes through here. And um, as oh. Dad said, he would... Um, oh, yeah. We used, uh, I had our son and a couple of his friends, and I'd taken a... Uh, a uh, long uh, pipe, and I fashioned a point on it, and I'd, I, there were a lot of stumps, um, you know, big stumps, and, and, uh, and in those days, uh, uh, I, I could pound that pipe underneath the stump and create a little cave, and then go over here to Clackamas, and I bought a, uh, a case of dynamite, uh, and and dynamite caps and all, and uh, and thread uh, two, three, four, five sticks of dynamite down through through that tunnel, and then to bring it out and take the two wires over to the tractor and put them on the on the battery and kahoom and and away they go and and uh, the stumps come out of there look, they look like a Saturn rocket <laughs> coming up out of the air and going like that. And I remember one of them down there, I thought, oh my gosh, is that stump gonna go high enough to catch those wires? But it didn't. <laughs> and, but anyway, we blew stumps uh, to clear the land and uh, 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 plant grapes. And uh, uh, nowadays, I don't think you can get a, you've probably gotta go through a myriad of permits to even get a stick of dynamite. Uh, but <laughs> down in this little cottage down there, I had a whole case of dynamite and a box of, of, uh, of uh, um, whatever they call them. Uh, the gaps? Caps. caps, yeah, whatever. And anyway, that was... Uh, that was exciting. And then I think you told me that you had a powder monkey sitting yeah. in one of your... Yeah, I did. Uh, <laughs> Uh, one of my patients was a powder monkey, and uh, I had some spare time, so I was chatting to him about uh, this experience. And he said, oh my God. <laughs> he said, and you were under the power lines? And, well, yeah, you could feel, uh, especially <laughs> if there was moisture in the air, the power lines are going, they're making a lot of electric noise up there. And, and he said, shook his head and he's, he says, you, you don't realize that in, you're in that, that uh, foil of uh, those power lines. Uh, you could have had that whole uh, box of uh, uh, explosives go off, and, uh, uh, especially the dynamite caps. Uh, would go could go off in that and, and under those circumstances, 
I didn't know that. And so, <laughs> so it's the good Lord that yeah. somehow or other uh, lets you through some of those gates uh, uh, to, to do something else dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. if you have to clear out some stumps, you might as well make it as entertaining and risky yeah. as possible. I give my life to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was uh, quite an experience, yeah. You mentioned earlier some of the mentors you had, so working with the, the Campbells at Elk Cove, working with the Ponzi's. What, were, what did you have to learn when you were planting grapes? What were the biggest kind of surprises along the way as you were learning how to plant and grow grapes? Well, they were a lot more fun than growing Christmas trees. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, and had uh, time-wise about as much attention to need, needed, but uh, uh, the product was far better. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Uh, um, I don't want to put a, a negative on Christmas tree growing because uh, there are some individuals in the valley that do a wonderful job of doing it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just that, uh, 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 I, I met uh, a different type of people in, in the wine industry and, and uh, I kind of had a, a feeling that for the chemistries of winemaking, uh, um, uh, chemistry and mathematics uh, were the things that got me grades enough to get, to get into medical school. Uh, a uh, three-hour class of English lit about killed me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> reading about Beowulf slaying four dragons uh, at a 50 feet of water was not to my uh, greatest interest. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> when you planted, um, I know you planted them, and you had you would take down the carboys, fill those carboys with water and milk cartons to water that initial planting. Were you doing all the pruning and the caring and um, at, that time, at that time? I had yeah. an individual, and I've forgotten his name, but uh, uh, who actually planted planted them and then and then Celie and I took care of them from there on. Yeah. And, uh, and he came by and, and helped. Uh, uh, Paul Hart would probably remember uh, the fellow's name, it seemed like Ware or something like that was his name. And I think he's still very uh, prominent in the valley and, and uh, nurturing different vineyards uh, into uh, a blossom and uh, success. So did the Campbells and the Ponzi's um, give you more than what you could find in I mean, given that there wasn't computers or anything, um, kind of that how to prune and what to look for and the disease sort of thing. Is that the no, sort of things that they mentored or? No, I, uh, most of that I, I read about. You did? How to, uh, how to properly uh, prune a grapevine. Dad is dyslexic, so, what, but when he reads, as you can probably tell in this conversation, and it gets in there, it it never gets out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh -huh. uh -huh. underlines and yeah. Yeah, a yeah. lot of underlining, right? 
Yeah. That way, uh, when I went back to review, all I did is read whatever I underlined. <laughs> yeah. That cut a tremendous amount of the book out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what did you th What did you think about the wines you tasted in Oregon as you were getting started? What What, what were the wines here like at that time? Did you enjoy them? Uh, I did, mm -hmm. but uh, my knowledge of uh, of uh, um, sophisticated knowledge of of uh, wasn't there to begin with. Uh, as mm -hmm. wine tasting with the Oregon Wine Brotherhood and the likes. Uh, uh, we get together and and cook up a meal for a group uh, and every month and and uh, and bring our best wines and and talk about talk about our our favorites and why and and uh, we learned a lot of it by osmosis <laughs> just uh, just existing. Um, and listening to your friends uh, 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 conduct different uh, wine sessions, and um, that's kind of how, mm -hmm. how we got into it. Mm -hmm. uh, um, none of my family were in, was in the wine industry, and nor Celie's family either. What about the t the test vineyard? When did that, what you call the test vineyard, was that before the Gris went in or after? No, that was before. Before? Yeah. That was back when, before we moved up here. I had a little test vineyard down there where the cottage is. And I, I tested a lot of, about nine different varieties of grapes. And finally ended up with, um, that Pinot Noir and, and, uh, and Chardonnay were, were the, the two I was looking for and didn't get. <laughs> Planted Pinot Gris. <laughs> and then I had told Rich about the Alvarino that we had, mm -hmm. um, had you had wanted to see if Alvarino, that would Alvarino, actually, uh, we picked up a taste for that. Alvarino. On a trap. On a, on a trip to Spain. Mm -hmm. Wine and, uh, That's a wine. And um, it was over in the... It's uh, a wine that you like. Um, uh, oh. Just west uh, of the mountain range between uh, mm. uh, Spain and, and uh, Spain. France. Spain. In that area uh, were the individuals that uh, planted this particular type of grape. And, and uh, that uh, I just, I just liked it so much that I, uh, I have some of it down here, but I never did move it into anything. Uh, um, I never did sell any of it. Uh, I just made some for myself and, and Andy's friends. And, um, and I Andy's made some. Good. That people say, "When are you going to sell us? Can you sell us?" And it's like, "No." Oh. But he's such a small amount is yeah. uh, commercializing it, uh, other than a for your your uh, tasting group. Yeah, they've enjoyed uh, it. The wine club members have enjoyed it. I think uh, I I don't just think I know. Uh, there's an individual. Uh, I can't think of their name at the moment, but down in. Uh, close to Roseburg that uh, uh, does 
sell and make a really a good uh, um, uh, use of that variety. Uh, uh, it's rising in popularity, I would say. Yeah. There are people dabbling in it all, all around now, which is uh, kind of uh, interesting. Are they? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Not, not a lot, but it's one people are starting to look for as something of interest. So, And, and it, it is distinctive. Uh, 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 to, to taste, uh, it has a a world of its own. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. The, mm -hmm. <laughs> so I was going to ask Celie what you thought of having a vineyard here. Did you enjoy the getting into wine and, and grapes? Well, yeah. <laughs> yes, but I was. <laughs> oh, yes. We all these wonderful people, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I was the one who was running, running around. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> Mom was um, a Spanish linguistics major, mm -hmm. and so in the Brotherhood, well, that's she right. represented Spain, right? She was the ambassador to Spain. Yeah, she was the ambassador to Spain. Yeah, I well, um, I actually had lived in Bend. I'd moved to okay. Bend um, previous to that, and it, I stretch this story, but I, I, I say that um, I spent seemingly numerous weekends of my high school years up working on the Christmas trees, working on the farm. Um, and um, that's what I remember most about this property. Um, but. The, on this side of all that, one of the things that I'm the most grateful for from these two is the work ethic that I do have, which I wouldn't have had if I um, didn't have those and other experiences. Uh, and then we moved back, Andy and I moved back in 13 or 14? 13. Um, Mom and Dad had moved down to Wilsonville um, and then we were fortunate enough there wasn't anybody living here and we ended up um, here and then had, um, do you remember the gal from, Edelsheim was a big buyer mm -hmm. of the Gree at that time. What was the name of the gal that came? She graduated from Oregon State. Kelly. Kelly, Kelly. Gregor. Kelly Gregor. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. Oh yes, that's her name, exactly. Kelly and then um, Evan. Evan um, Evan with Results Partners. Evan with oh, Results Evan Partners. Okay. Yeah. Evan and Bellinger. Yeah. Evan Bellinger. And they came out and she, their kind of take was because the vines were so old and the canopy was so, produced so much canopy that they really um, suggested that we try Scott Henry, the Scott Henry mm -hmm. method. And so dad um, had had, we had the whole vineyard at that time switched over to Scott Henry, right? Mm -hmm. um, you actually probably should bump into this story because he has the, he has the like what the projected yields would be, be and kind of what happened over the next, um, but that was, the, that was a big change. That was kind of the first big change mm -hmm. that. Yeah, I think it's fair to say too, Tracy liked Christmas trees less than <laughs> it was fun to watch them get harvested. The one year we were here, they, there were still a few more trees over here, and it was pretty cool to watch 
Yeah, the, the helicopter come in oh, yeah. and yeah, pick them up. And, That's cool. Yeah. And then Andy and I have jokingly said we were in Bend for 30 years. We knew about beer, but we didn't really know much about wine. So. So well, so yeah. Go, tell me, tell me about. Well, actually, let's back up for a second. What what did bring you back? What what brought you into wine at that point? Uh, because we were here and there was just a lot of, you know, having to move from a home that they were in mm -hmm. for so many years and um, lots of transitions and to be close uh, to mom and dad. Mm -hmm. And, and um, it was just a natural mm -hmm. um, segue into um, where we are. Although the first winter we were here, I think it's fair to say Andy wasn't all that keen on um, the rain and um, and then you know he got the spark of um, what's here and the legacy of what was here and brought here and um, how we might be able to move that legacy forward, continue that legacy. Yeah. So tell me so, about tell me tell me about that. I'm curious because it is it is interesting always taking over someone else's someone else's thing, right? And someone else's project and passion. So as that became something that you were interested in, and you, you talked about you know having to re, having to retrail, that's a that's a big first step. That's a, that's a lot of a lot of initial work to do, to do that. So uh, what were you thinking at that point? What did you think kind of would be your role, and what did you want to do with the property here and, and with the grapes you had? I think you know, when we first moved up, I mean it was what September first was the first day we were up on the hill. And that's right as you're getting into the preparation for harvest, and there's just a lot of, a lot more activity in the vineyard. And you know, I'm doing my exercise out in the vineyard, and just watching what's going on, just to learn. And I'm thinking I'm calling Lee about every day, saying, "Is this supposed to be happening? Is this supposed to be happening?" And they were things that shouldn't have been happening, but they were. Which led to the meeting, you know, that uh, Tracy mentioned, you know, with Kelly and and with Evan, and, and really, it, you know, Lee had shared that, you know, at the time that, you know, the vineyard had lost money most every year that he had operated it, and you know, them getting up in their years, we're looking at it, going, well, in estate planning, you wouldn't want to have it losing money every year, uh, so it'd be good if we can find a way to make it make it less of a loss or, or maybe even profitable. And and so in those conversations, meeting Evan and Kelly and then Lee and Celia had introduced us to the Edelsheims. Mm -hmm. uh, they were a buyer and that's who Kelly worked for and still does, I believe. And we were invited up to a, a grower's dinner. You know, Lee and Celia let us, you know, use their tickets to go up to Mount Hood, uh, the lodge up on the top of the mountain and have a dinner up there. And we met a bunch of other growers that, were like Celia and Lee, you know, just, you know, growing wine. And then there were others that had gone a little bit further and had made wine. And so, you know, that was something that just kind of piqued interest. And, but, you know, as we talked with Kelly and, uh, and Evan, it seemed reasonable that there was a way to increase the yield. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Lee took the risk to go ahead and spend the extra money, go ahead and see if that would work. And the anticipated yield was supposed to go up like 50% in year one. It actually tripled in yield. And that's what kind of, I mean, had thought about the wine business, particularly as we started seeing a yield estimate. Because mm -hmm. I don't know that Lee ever got one of those before from the prior guy, but I know when I gave him the, the first one, Lee's like, 
this will never happen. <laughs> you know, and I'm out walking in the vineyard going, I think it might, because this looks a whole lot different than it did last year, like three times as nice. And, you know, sure enough, you know, the yield came in and, you know, we had found buyers for a lot of those grapes, but we still ended up being like six tons of grapes left. So it was not a whole lot of business planning. It was because like, that's the motto of the Oregon wine industry, I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, we we you know, put out a few a few hooks, you know, out into you know out into the world to see if we couldn't find a place to you know be making wine if we chose to do that, and you know we ended up ultimately doing those six tons into shiners. Uh, you know, with the 2015 or 2013 or 14 vintage, you know, the first year. And, and then it was putting together a business plan at that point. And, you know, so that's really how, you know, we got into it. I mean, I knew nothing about wine. And I would say the more I learn, the more I know I don't know. And, and that's pretty much the consistent message I get from anybody I talk to. And, yeah. And, you know, but we've been very fortunate, you know, with the connections Lee and Sealy's, you know, made for us, you know, with the Edelsheims, with, you know, Mike Thayer over at Pete's Mountain, Mike and Christy, and, uh, the, you know, the Edelsheims certainly, and then, you know, uh, Laurent and, you know, his team out at uh, Northwest Wine, you know, were very instrumental in getting us up and going. And, you know, fortunately, yeah, the, the business model changed some from the days, you know, Lee would, you know, first got into this. To where there was this specialization of winemakers that, you know, could make your wine, and and so we didn't have to invest in a full-fledged wine facility and all the equipment that goes with that, and you know, and, and we happen to know people that knew how to do branding, and so you know, we, you know, good family friends that uh, you know went in and, and helped us with that, and uh, I mean, just going through the naming process for the. For the you know winery was you know a, a, a process and it, you know I think a really good word of you know that Lee loves to mention as well everything out here seems to be serendipity um, you know I mean I don't you know he mentioned you know when he bought the property and so forth you know there was no mention of, at that time that this was something he bought to do a vineyard on right well, it turns out that. It's an ideal property with the southward-facing slopes, lots of volcanic soil. I mean, it's, it's just an ideal site for growing grapes on that side of the hill. And Christmas trees are, you know, our plan is to put lavender where the Christmas trees were. And, you know, so that's, I mean, it's just serendipity that that was that much like, you know, serendipity that, they built their house on, it ends up having a street name called Campbell Lane. They didn't know it at the time. You know, it, there was no street sign here when they bought the property. There was, it was no 205. It was, you know, him and his, you know, business partner, Bob, you know, coming up and saying they wanted to name it Highland Road and they go into the county to do that. And the county says, sorry, it actually already has a name, you know, and it's Campbell Lane. And, I remember when I first heard that story, I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like that, really. You know, like yeah. that, you know, that happened. And then I'm pulling up old maps on the county's website. Sure enough, there it is, Campbell Lane, and you know, also known as County Road 283. And it must be like the shortest, shortest road in the county system. You know, and at one time, it went all the way over to Mountain Road. But, 
Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know, it's been vacated since then. And, you know, so it's this one dead end street. And so, you know, here he has this property that's halfway. I mean, it's right in the middle up on top of the hill between Mountain Road and Pete's Mountain Road, southward facing hill. Privacy from all. I mean, people don't even know it exists out here. And, you know, so it's great to have people that come out here and get to see this property and feel like, you know, they're in their backyard, but they're 20 minutes from downtown Portland. It is, you know, pretty amazing. And, you know, the way it's set up with, you know, just looking out here, there are no homes that, you know, we can see anywhere in sight. But, you know, the closest home we can see is down on, you know, across the river in Canby, you know. Oh, I see Canby. And the Campbell Lane, how that ended up as the... Um, label name is actually i would give credit to mike thayer mike and christy thayer of pete's mountain winery and in the spirit of how well dad was mentored he was he and mom were very strong mentors to um the thayers which they always they love telling my story and they named their pinot gris because they were buyers and still are buyers of pinot gris and their pinot gris is named after my mom so that's a lovely thing to have that um mm -hmm you know, what's happening on this hill, all of Pete's Mountain, having um, um, good connections mm -hmm. with the other wineries that are here. But we had, well, we had tried a lot of names that we were running through in the, um, finding out if we could use them, and they were all, um, they were either taken or, or too close to something. And then we had really thought about highlighting these two, because there's this wonderful picture that was taken of them that then was turned into a caricature. So we had thought about that. Um, but dad's like, yeah, you know, I didn't want, I don't want my picture on the, a bottle, that sort of thing. So we were really at a dead end. And then um, Mike Thayer comes wandering up, knocks on the door, comes in, he goes, I know what you can call the wine. And we're like, what? And he, he said, Campbell Lane. Cause it's, it fits, it's the story, but it's not quote, you know, mm -hmm. um, anyway, he, so he's the one who came up with it, huh. and it was perfect. I don't sell that. Huh. That all worked huh. out. Yeah. And then you um, might <coughs> share me. how we ended up, well, grafting the Chardonnay and that story, and then planting the Pinot Noir. Yeah, please. Yeah, so I mentioned, you know, the, the yield tripling. And, you know, so that, you know, ultimately happened in 2014. 2015 came along, and that particular year there was just an amazing grape set based on our property. I mean, it turned out to be the best yield uh, out of uh, you know Stone Ridge ever, and it ended up being like 10 tons an acre. And I think you know. Lee didn't believe those numbers either. I didn't, you know, when I was first looking at them in, in Evan, you know, he's going, yeah, I think the these vines can carry that and we'll keep a really good eye on it. And I did, and, you know, sure enough, you know, I mean, we did our normal harvest of, you know, say six uh, six tons. I, you know, I mean, we hadn't sold a case. I don't even think we had a name yet for the, the winery. I think we were still in that, you know, that process. So we still had, you know, wine and shiners and, you know, committing to six more tons, another 360 cases, thinking, oh, yeah, you know, got a lot of friends and family. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, we had found buyers for, we thought, all the grapes. And, 
and just kind of you know prayed about it and said, well, you know, there's was a little bit left, and we you know prayed about it and said, well, if there's no buyer by tomorrow morning, we'll I guess we'll have more more shiners, and you know got a phone call in the morning from Evan saying, hey, got a buyer. It's like <laughs> that's good. <laughs> And then about two hours later, he said, there's still more graves. <laughs> what would you like to do with those? Mm -hmm. So long story short, we ended up with a, a thousand cases of Pinot Gris in 2015. And we were kind of what you might say all in at that point. Um, you know, so it was, you know, Andy doing consulting work, continue to consulting work, and, you know, we'll find a way to make it all work. But, you know, as far as how we got into it. I mean, it was, you know, serendipity to, you know, to be there. I mean, you know, kind of a God driven thing. And, you know, Lee and I having, you know, you know, several conversations about, you know, what he was thinking when he was out in the vineyard and what he saw and the different mountain views and the different, you know, places where you might put a home site and how that would catch this or catch that. And, you know, and as we, kind of back up just a little bit as we, you know, Tracy and I talked about it, we ended up commissioning one of Tracy's really good friends back in Bend to do a drawing of the property. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really from down on what is known as the Kincaid parcel that Lee bought back in about in the early 90s, maybe mid 90s. No, it would have been. No, that was earlier than that. Yeah, yeah late 80s, yeah, I, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because. Yeah, yeah, as he's going down the hill, he ran out of space, and by 99, he'd grown the vineyard to 15 acres of Pinot Gris, and half of it was on the Kincaid piece, and half of it was up here on on the, what he referred to properly so, the jigsaw, because it had been pieced <laughs> off into you know, a number of different uh, little pieces, but the Kincaid piece, we had the, the art rendering taken of looking up the hill, seeing the vineyard, seeing a tasting room, and seeing a, like a little amphitheater or pond down there and so forth. And it's just an amazing setup as you go down and look. You, what we, I described here in terms of not being able to see any homes, it's pretty much that way all the way down the hill in these, the forest ends up blocking off, you know, any homes that are nearby. And so the ability to continue to expand and create a destination, if you will, mm -hmm. you know, kind of evolved and turned into this thing to take it back to Lee and Celia and say, hey, what do you guys think about, you know, us going into this wine business? And and mm -hmm. I think, you know, kind of touched their heart. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it turned into, you know, that's, you know, where, you know, we partnered up on, on this, they provided some, you know, grapes and we provided some cash and free labor and, and you know, we continue to provide the free labor <laughs> and we're finally paying for grapes and, you know, and, you know, what, six, seven years later, actually, yeah, just finishing up the profit and loss statement, it looks like, yeah, we actually made money, uh, which, you know, you know, didn't. Didn't think it'd take seven years, but you know it did. Uh, I was told to that it wouldn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> and well, the uh, uh, we have we have three children. Uh, uh, um, this is our youngest, and and we didn't have uh, uh, any thoughts of of family taking over this until 
they showed interest and and so we've kind of looked towards this becoming eventually their domain. What's, what's it been like for you to watch the, the growth of the vineyard, both kind of from the early days and to now, and to see it mature and, and grow into what it's become? Oh, it's a great, it was, it's been a great pleasure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is, because uh, I know what uh, uh, at least some of the challenges are in, in uh, making it happen, so. <clears throat> and he's good wine, and he's yeah, he's got a great um, depth yeah, and the, breadth of experience in terms of guiding the, us with that. And the quality of the grapes, uh, uh, yeah. I just uh, uh, I didn't cause it; it just happened to be here. Yeah, and that makes it uh, even more uh, pleasant. The, yeah, it turns out too. I mean, you know, again, going back to serendipity. So he was planning to do the Pinot Noir up here, turns into Pinot Gris. Well, after that 2015 year with the yield being what it was, it was like, yeah, we need to it was invest. A we need to we need to invest in incur some expenses. <laughs> so, you know. So, you know, 30 years later, literally to the year, you know, so 85 was the planting of the Pinot Gris, 2015 was the planting of the Pinot Noir. So uh, the guys came out, mapped out an area, took their soil samples, and, and really there wasn't, wasn't a whole lot of soil to sample because it was nothing but basalt cobblestone. But down at that elevation, what they found was a, you know, a nice steep, you know, anywhere from four to 20% grade slope, all southward facing, all the cobblestone. It was like the premier site that was all under a tree that really didn't really know it was there until they started digging on it. And, you know, so at, 80, at age 84, at least, you know, boom, you know, bringing in and planning, you know, this, uh, you know, expansion of the Pinot Noir and, you know, we're, you know, I think our first vintage was 2018 and turned out to make a really nice wine. Um, uh, we've gotten really good feedback on it. And, you know, the 2019 vintage came out and we're starting to pour, you know, that in a reserve uh, bottle now. And people are really liking that. And, and we have a new winemaker, you know, today that you know, at first, uh, you know, I think the way I'd like to tell the story is he's he's a top-notch winemaker, Tony Rinders, uh, you know, out at Tendril Cellars. And when Trace and I first met him, he was nice enough, but he didn't seem all that excited about necessarily doing another label. <laughs> and, you know, we kept on him and and finally, you know, it's like, hey, Tony, it's getting close to time, you know, can you come out and check out the place? And, you know, he came out and hopped on the gator and we drove him down in the vineyard and he started looking around and after he tasted a few grapes, he's like, I'm really excited to be working with you on this, you know, so, I mean, you know, and it's been, 
It's been fun. We've uh, just got his you know first release of the rosé, which is you know different than what uh, you know Laurent and his team make. Uh, and we you know we get really good feedback on you know that. And, you know we're getting really good feedback on what Tony's doing, and so we're excited about you know going in a direction that is you know boutique with really a focus on making the best possible wine off of this property. Yeah, and, only, uh, only yeah. off this property. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's, you know, we're not about quantity. Uh, it's all focused on mm-hmm. quality. And, and you know, that's really, you know, the, the end game for us is, is that. And, and, you know, creating a destination that, you know, certainly they've started that we can build off of. And as it goes down in time, you know, the next generation will be able to, you know, take it and, you know, mm-hmm. make it even better. And it's, what, 100 acres total up here um, that, you know, ends up with a connection down in Pete's Mountain at the bottom southeast corner and a connection off of Campbell Lane up on the northwest corner. Mm-hmm. And so it creates this nice little, again, private setting that, yeah, I think it's the largest single holding of land up on this mountain. Oh, is it? I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> and then Chardonnay. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, when we were buying Pinot Noir from next door at Pete's Mountain, and, you know, initially, and he was buying the Pinot Gris, and he was needing more of his Pinot Noir, which also was part of, you know, the you know, reason for, you know, planting our own Pinot Noir. Yeah. And we were hoping to get some of his Chardonnay, but he, you know, Mike never had enough Chardonnay. And wasn't planning on planting anymore. So, you know, we started doing the economics, and the Pinot Gris, as great as wine as it makes, it's not necessarily the most economical, you know, grape. And, you know, it turns out that, you know, we needed Chardonnay, and the Chardonnay actually had a payback of, you know, a reasonable amount of time. So, you know, with Lee, we, you know, ended up uh, grafting over a couple of acres of uh, Pinot Gris to uh, Chardonnay, and we had our first vintage in 2020, which turned out to be the year of the fire. Um, but now we have this amazing wine that's got a hint of uh, smoke to it with, uh, you know, a good dose of Fortunately, uh, oak. Fortunately, it was a hint, a hint of smoke. Yeah. 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 Uh, we were fortunate that way. Any, and then, any more than that, uh, uh, it would, is, uh, I still have a, a sampling of, of the original uh, uh, from the smoke areas down below that, Salem. Uh, of real smoke, mm-hmm. what it does. It, it's uh, a real education. It's, I didn't know that they would pick a, absorb that much of the... Uh, the nuances of smoke, what they did. They didn't mean yeah. yeah. That's okay. That's yeah, okay. I mean, you know, that's, that's where we are today. And then there's, you know, again, this economics and with, uh, you know, just the cost, everything going up the way it is. The, you know, farming the Pinot Gris is almost becoming, and I should say almost, I mean, it is really at this point, it's... Yeah, I think we... some tough decisions. <clears throat> that we need to... <clears throat> graph some more of the Pinot Gris over to Chardonnay and maybe uh, to um, uh, Pinot Noir as well. Yeah, a little Pinot bit of Albarino. Yeah. Or, or maybe Albarino. Yeah, maybe Albarino. That's true. But that's a decision that you guys are going to make. <laughs> it was fascinating to watch that grafting process. I had never seen that. Mm-hmm. So that was really a little bit 
hand of the yeah. when they're going through the chainsaws. Um, but it was fascinating to watch and watch that. And the um, well, the take rate isn't the word I'm looking for, but the success rate was. No, the success rate for the grafting was phenomenal. Ninety nine percent, you know, that range. I mean, it was. This is pretty good. Very good. What do you think good. about that? Then, what? what do you think uh, about that? The. Uh, well, what? All of it? But yeah, you know, I mean, learned like a ton, that. you know, from me. Just calling him and oh, him describing some of the things. YouTube obviously, you yeah, know, know, helps a ton these days. To, you know, but. You know, for us too, I mean, having the farm workers up here just going and watching what they do and then mimicking what they do up in, you know, the test vineyard is, you know, how we started out, uh, you know, doing, you know, doing and, and just learning how things work was, you know, a lot of that. And, you know, and, you know sharing stories with Leah, you know, he was out, I know, picking grapes, you know, when you're doing a professional life and trying to, take care of the little grapes and wanting to get something out of them. I mean, you're you're out at night with your little headlamp on in the rain, picking the grapes that you can get and, you know, scra scraping off the, the moldy, you know, stuff and, you know, getting a harvest and then bringing it in and, and making some wine out of it. And, you know, we've, we've been fortunate with the wine club, uh, you know, folks and just having the wine business where we're able to bring in a number of volunteers that have, help make like the Almarino where we're, you know, this last year made what, up to 280 liters of Almarino and it turned out actually it's quite good. pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Even with the smoke, it turned out just fine. Uh -huh. The other, I mean, just, maybe I'm just rambling now, but the other thing, I'm not sure when it came on was there was a, there's a neighbor just south who um the, the bluebird population had all but disintegrated and i don't remember when she asked mom and dad if she could start putting bluebird boxes in the vineyard and um has been doing that um you would help her do that for how many years i mean like actually Lynn. the vineyard can grow bluebirds better than <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. that's pretty fun they come in every year and um Go in the boxes down there, fight off the starling. Yeah, there's bit. 200 like, plus pairs now of bluebirds yeah, up here. Yeah, I think that's a really cool thing that that we've got. Yeah. yeah. So all we have to do now is is uh, plant truffles in the vineyard. And, we've been looking around and, for that. And and have uh, the dogs and the well, you have these pigs right here. Yeah, yeah we should get the little neighborhood pigs. Um, there know, was. I don't know how you train a pig not to eat it. Eat a truffle. <laughs> there was a fire once. I mean, in terms of like fires and fire season and all those things that. Oh yeah. Yeah, Dad. There was a. He got a call from. Did Mom call and tell you there was a fire? Is that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mom called. Yeah, and I, I went out. Uh, <clears throat> fortunately, it was it was late in the yeah, afternoon, I but. Water. Can you um, uh, as I was driving on. Coming over the uh, Willamette, I could see this huge mm. ball of smoke going up in the air, and there was a forest fire uh, uh, coming through the forest over, and a, a wind was coming down from the from the northwest. Most of our winds come from the southwest, but this was coming down, and so it was going straight down that direction. Yeah, they brought. Uh, um, 
fire equipment from, oh, well, from Salem and, and all over. The, and the state fire marshal was finally here even. A, and he says, your vineyard, he says, uh, we couldn't have stopped that thing. Your vineyard stopped that fire from going right through those few houses down there. And he said, uh, we, we, I was out. I, I got the message from Sheila Call that said it was a fire, and, I, and when I came running up here, and I came into the driveway, Sealy had loaded the, uh, the, uh, uh, the dog and uh, pictures, pictures in the car, ready to evacuate, thinking that our the house was going to go and every, everything. Fortunately, uh, uh, and I got on the tractor and went down and put a, a harrow on the back of it and start, started going up and down the, the west side of the, of the uh, vineyard and uh, just to get the grass out of it. Uh, hmm. That was kind of scary, yeah. <laughs> but the, uh, once the people that lived down in there, uh, uh, there was uh, quite a number of them uh, uh, that didn't really care whether the vineyard was there or not. But, but after that, they were very happy that the vineyard was there. So as you look back, are there, you've, you've mentioned some pretty interesting stories, of course, along the way. Are there, are there moments you look back on, and this is for anyone here, moments you look back on at, at this space that are particularly kind of stuck in your memory of a celebration here or of a, a, a late night in the rain? Or what, what are kind of the, the favorite moments uh, for, at this space for you? One of my favorite was, uh, uh, was the... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, winter, we had so much snow, and the, the county couldn't keep the roads open, and, and we actually, Celia and I lived right here, uh, um, all by ourselves. Fortunately, we had plenty of food, uh, but uh, electricity didn't work, uh, uh, so we didn't have any water other than I melted snow on a little, as I mentioned mm -hmm. to you earlier out here. Uh, that was quite a moment. I mean, uh, the first couple of days, Celia and I, uh, we thought it was kind of cool, you know. And here we're living like uh, uh, the old frontier people. Yeah, but I tell you, after eight days of it, it was a, uh, uh, it was not that fun. And when we did get off the mountain, we we made a a beeline to the uh, tennis club. To, to get a shower, yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is interesting how your priorities change uh, <laughs> uh, uh, along with the circumstances. So for Tracy and Andy, then uh, you've, it's been obviously a bit of a whirlwind. It sounds like for you since coming back, a, a lot of a lot of change, a lot of uh, growth and decisions. What are the biggest sort of takeaways you've had as getting back, getting into the wine business? What are the what what is what are the things that excite you the most, and what are kind of the maybe the biggest lessons learned so far? Mm -hmm. um, we 
I think the, the thing that excites me the most is really the um, gratefulness of the people that visit and the appreciation that they have and the interest that they have in the story um, and the interest that they have in a piece of acreage in this day and age being um, set aside. Um, there's a trail called Mom's Trail that people can go on and it goes through the woods and that's where mom used to walk every day. Um, and so people will come up and walk or they'll um, walk in the vineyard. During COVID, um, there was like first responders that you know, when people were just really needed to get somewhere, you know, they would get extended invitation and people would come up and... So what we can do to give people a good experience mm -hmm. um, and a moment of enjoy, you know, enjoyment mm -hmm. and tell a story. Um, so I will tell one more story, which isn't related to the question that you said, and then he can. Please. So Mom's Trail, you're probably going to have to come in on this story. The way I hear part of it was because um, all five foot two of her <laughs> fiercely uh, energetic and um, strong opinions, and she was walking through Mom's Trail came back up one evening and was like fit to be tied because she had come across a deer and there was a poacher down there. She heard it. She saw it. Poacher was wearing a beige coat, light colored coat. This deer was gutted. She starts throwing rocks at the poacher and she's ticked off. So she comes up and she is ticked off and dad was sitting out here and he got her a glass of wine. I said, you know, I'll just calm uh, down a little bit. And then you probably need to take the rest of the story from there. Oh, yeah. Uh, we were sitting right there uh, having our glass of wine in the evening, which we did on Friday, especially Friday evening. <clears throat> and here came a, uh, a cougar right up to the window, right there to the window. And it came right up and it looked right at her. And I thought, this was, the event occurred on Wednesday. And this was just two days later. And that, but then's when I finally put it all together. Because Celie said, I saw this, the poachers down there, but uh, it's this dog uh, uh, that I actually saw. It was kind of tan. Well, and it went off into the blackberry bushes there, and 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 she said, Celie went over to the fence and threw rocks at it, and she told me, she said it growled, and I uh, uh, back at me, and I and I still didn't ring a bell to me at that time, until I it came and it looked right at her, beautiful, beautiful, and mm -hmm. uh, had to. The, uh, uh, the, the the face and all the markings and, and when it's right there, just like that at the, mm -hmm. at the uh, glass door, uh, it's uh, pretty amazing. And I know as a female because uh, 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 we used to track, uh, uh, track them over in Silver Lake when I was a kid. And females, uh, uh, well, uh, 
uh, drag their tail. Mm -hmm. And males uh, go along with their tail elevated so that there's, there's not that track in between the, mm -hmm. the foot tracks. Mm -hmm. and, uh, um, and there she did. She went off flying down that way. way. And I found out later that her den was right down here because I sort of, later on I was hauling logs out of there and and you and the uh, and Lee came out uh, of the tractor noise. I didn't hear it, but oh. uh, you and uh, uh, Lee that was helping us uh, clear wood out of oh. that gully there uh, said there's a there's a growling going on down in there, <laughs> and sure enough, that's where her oh. den was. Huh. And yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, but when we first came, uh, we had a herd of elk, uh, and uh, uh, four cows and one bull, uh, down here in where the vineyard is, and there was some old old apple trees down in there, and and these are uh, how those elk got all the way out of the coast range and across I-5 and all that into, into here. It was amazing. How about you, learning and enjoyment? Mm-hmm, yeah. I, that was, yeah, just a lot of responsibility, well. right? I was asking you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, with the generosity, you know, comes that responsibility too, and you know, and it's not just about making the wine or that. I mean, you got, you know, this, you know, lot of property. I mean, you, you got to steward it, you know, and, and certainly part of that stewarding is, you know, it's being a sustainable type of property. So, you know, we're, you know, we, we, you know, participate with the live certified program and, you know, the salmon safe, and you know, that's just real important. And, you know, Tracy mentioned, you know, just the relationships that we've, you know, formed with, you know, folks that have come up and, you know, you know, you know join us up here. Um, you know, that's a big thing. Um, you know, one of the, you know, great days, you know, here was, you know, our first open day. And, you know, you know talking with Lee about, about things at that point in time was, one thing they didn't have up here was grass lawns, mm -hmm. and he, he said, "Yeah, you don't want a grass lawn. I don't <laughs> want to take care of grass lawn." It was it, this was his first home that he was able to have with no kids and therefore no grass lawn, and he enjoyed no not lawn. having <laughs> to mow and and have that responsibility. And but at the same time, it was like you know, looking at everything. It's like you know, we need to. We need to have a grass lawn for the estate look and, you know, for people coming up and, and so forth. So he and Celie were somewhat banned from the property for about two months as we <laughs> did all the work, prepped all the, you know, the yard area to put in, you know, lawn. And, and on the grand opening day, they, you know, had a little Mercedes station wagon and normally Lee drives up the driveway pretty fast. and. But that particular day he drove up pretty slow, and you know he's looking at the grass and what had been done because it looked a lot different than you know when he had come up the last time, and and he slowly backed up into the parking space, and he and Silly stayed in the car for a few minutes just kind of 
taking it in. And I was running around the tractor still trying to get a few things done right before we opened, which was, you know, customary for me. It's right up to the last minute, you know, doing something and, you know, pop off and, you know, get to come and see, you know, I mean, they had a real smile and, you know, Lee just saying, you know, it looks, looks really nice. <laughs> and so that was, you know, you know, kind of the seal of approval on each, you know, bottle of wine that we make or have made for us. I mean, you know, our first opening and tasting is with, you know, Lee and Celie and, and, you know, just seeing the look on their faces, uh, you know, affirming that this is really, you know, a good wine has been very rewarding. And, yeah, yes. And when they joined us, I think one story that comes to my mind too is they joined us um, out at Northwest Wine with the winemaking team for the first harvest of the Pinot Noir when they were doing the tastings and they had four clones um, and the, um, they had dad taste and compare and taste and compare and just his ability to um, eventually get it to they were sort of right on a line in terms of what they were thinking and what he was thinking and He'd scratch down the notes and he had a little taste. And anyway, that was a really good memory. There was mom and dad and Andy and his mom and his brother. And it was a good day. Yeah. So, that's really yeah. cool. Yeah, that was a good day. Yeah. You, you've talked a little bit about uh, potential future plans, but let's talk about the future a little bit. Uh, brand is obviously just getting, getting rolling. Uh, do you have plans in mind for the future? Do you, have a, do you have a size you want to be? Do you have anything else you want to do? Or is it just kind of slow, steady growth at this point? Mm, yeah, slow is not a good word. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, we, we just actually received uh, county land use approval for, you know, for the next phase, which is to go ahead and be able to move the business out of the, the home. Mm -hmm. you know, so like the Oregon Wine Pioneers, I mean, we've, you know, made really good use of this solarium room that uh, Lee and Seely had uh, built. I mean, it's, it's a lovely room. Um, and if this were all used for wine mm -hmm. business, it'd be a great house for that too. But, you know, it's our home. So, yeah, we're going to go ahead and move the tasting room down by the cottage that you drove past and move the parking and all the transportation elements, you know, away from the home and away from the neighbor's home and so forth. So, you know, that's the next phase. And, you know, you know, hit certain target, you know, numbers. Uh, you know, we you know, start looking at a plan that expands maybe the vineyard. But certainly the longer term plan is down on the, mm -hmm. you know, Lee, you know, vision, you know, that he had and seeing how things worked, you know, in terms of getting things done. Uh, and it becomes increasingly more challenging. So the slow part of it is if you go too slow, you may not be able to do what you want to do. Um, and so, you know, for us is to move it along as quickly as we can, you know, financially and otherwise. And Lee had put in a, a well down on the Kincaid property, an ideal spot that facilitates the ability to, to grow and got the connection I mentioned, you know, road connection out to Pete's Mountain. So the ability to have something down there mm -hmm. that, you know, I think can be, you know, you know, we'll see. I mean, it, you know, you know, the vision would certainly be to do something magnificent on this property mm -hmm. and, you know, it, it deserves that and you know it's 
And it's not like they create any more of these hills. And so yeah, it's just the last hill, right? There's a just coming up here today when you drove drove up out of Mary's Wood and all those homes and everything up there. Uh, that was just uh, 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 early type of my career. That was that whole hill was just bare grass and brush. And then trees. <laughs> now it's yeah. wall to wall houses. Yeah. yeah. On the other side of I've so, uh, Salmo going up. Yeah, mm -hmm, there yeah. was a piece that has been up there for years. It had a house, and she always put sold flowers outside of it every summer, and yeah. that got sold anyway. There's a subdivision kind of. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, down so. here, this this area, it's like a from the Tualatin River to the Willamette River. Willamette River on the east, Willamette River on the south, Tualatin on the north, and then there's the urban growth boundary for Wilsonville to the west. It's about a two and a half, three mile by three mile area that's outside the UGB. Mm -hmm. So from a development standpoint, it's not going to change much. Um, and certainly in terms of, you know, additional homes and so forth, there's, you know, just a few lots left that can see that type of development. Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. You know, so you you see this, I think, becoming, you know, with Pete's Mountain Winery, us, Tumwater, which, you know, Lee and Seely, you know, happen to be instrumental in, you know, that in terms of, you know, they own two thirds of the, you know, that land. And, and so this ends up being, I think, you know, from a European standpoint, you know, something that uh, likely and is ABA. the highest, best use of yeah. this property as a vineyard for, Hopefully, you know, maybe centuries. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I got started on the ABA process, I don't know, probably the year we started, and then I didn't make a whole lot of progress, and then there's been so many other things, and then Andy picked up the reins for a little bit, but we're still um, looking, and we talked with um, Pascal, who's the manager up at Tumwater, mm -hmm. and um, and Mike, and you know, so we... We've all we've gotten is the name, which we hope is still available as <laughs> we go forward. But yeah, but we, yeah, we've yeah. we've got a name and we've got yeah, we've got the plan for yeah, we're, this we're becoming a little, yeah. little it's ABA, sub ABA. So, yeah. yeah, it certainly has unique uh, unique features. With the, I mean, it's just a basalt, mm -hmm. large basalt mm -hmm. piece of ground, and, mm -hmm. and we don't see ourselves as. Um, a big wholesaler of wine. You know, most of the wine is through the wine tasting room. Um, but contrary to that, at least in the Portland market, in the Bend market where Courtney Parks is, um, she has, we have a really strong presence in Bend with um, kegged wine and the canned wine. Mm -hmm. um, and that keeps, grow that, that keeps growing. So um, those were um, and I would definitely give more, you know, give credit to Andy in terms of, you know, let's try cans, let's try kegs. Mm -hmm. um, so um, exploring those things and seeing, you know, how they work and where they work best, and yeah. Yeah, it that? happens that the that can is just exactly a, a half bottle, mm -hmm. yeah, three fifty cc's, and uh, and it makes it so convenient. To, to have it in the refrigerator and pull it out and not have to open a whole bottle. Uh, 
uh, I take a can down to to uh, dinner, and, and I can uh, have four nice glasses out of that one can of wine, or uh, for four of us at the table. And it, uh, that turned out to be a um, a good um, packaging. Program. Yeah. He was a wee I, bit skeptical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Sealy was extremely skeptical. Look on her face when we mentioned Gam Priceless. Poor little lady. Well, all the questions that I have for you, I, uh, is there anything we didn't cover that we should have covered? Anything that you wanted to get on as part of this that we didn't talk about? What do we do? or not new. I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. We got in. Yeah. Uh-oh. We got in all the names for yeah. the folks. I mean. Yeah. I mean, there's some great people in the wine business. I mean, you know, in the wine industry and. Yeah, they have. It's a, uh, uh, even comparing Oregon with with uh, uh, some of the individuals I talked to in what in Washington, the uh, uh, um, the sense of responsibility and uh, uh, um, amongst each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I can go down and use someone else's tractor. Or, or they can use mine. Uh, the exchange of equipment and, and knowledge is is so free flowing in Oregon, and where that comes from, I don't know, because it it, it it doesn't exist elsewhere. Lots of times, I, uh, I hear people out of state talk about, and uh, where do you where do you get the equipment to do all this? Well, you just borrow from so and so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You borrow it? Yeah, yeah, you borrow it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, so there's a, uh, I don't know who you credit that for. <laughs> I mean, Johnny Appleseed? I don't know. <laughs> and so uh, the early guys set the tone. Yeah. yeah. You go back to Erath and Ponzi and... Yeah, they did. You know, it's true. Yeah, and, and if they if maintained it, at least uh, to my knowledge, uh, uh, there was a... When we first got into it, there was less than 30 wineries, and now there's almost a thousand. A thousand, mm-hmm. yeah, in or in the whole state of Oregon, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's something that has has grown like a mushroom, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember going down to California with um, the folks. Um, trying to remember what year that was, but it was. Before there were, certainly before you were producing, but one of the things about bringing wine back from California that uh, dad was always, he was, well, he's always been very strategic and careful about most things, but like how he packed the car and how much it weighed and... and I don't remember what, is it the Siskiyou's? The the OLCC. I mean, uh, you were not allowed to transport wine from California into Oregon uh, without going through the well, uh, getting the liquor oh, license okay. on it. No. And they used to actually, they'd camp out on the, the Siskiyou's, 
just south of uh, Ashland. And at night, uh, as you came up, they'd, they'd be, the state police would be up there and they'd blink their lights. And if, if your lights didn't come down to a certain level, they pulled you over to check how much wine you had how in the truck. How much weight you had in the back of the car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so uh, awesome. uh, in those days, uh, Celia and I go down in the, in the station wagon and, and uh, all our friends, uh, they, they had an order. And <laughs> I think uh, sometimes we had, uh, I think the, 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 the largest load I got in there was was 32 cases. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully the OLCC and, can't retroactively. That's right, yeah. the statute is way past. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and our, uh, uh, it had a, an automatic uh, Mercedes uh, uh, balancing system so that uh, uh, we could still do it. But it, uh, if we got close to nighttime with that much of a load, <laughs> I'd always stop in Reading and, and stay overnight and, and come, come through the following story. day. Yeah. But with that automatic uh, suspension in the head, at least you went along like this instead of like this. Those were some, uh, some trying days. Yeah. Uh, Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you all so much for, for, for having us here, for, for, for welcoming and, and sharing your stories with us. And go ahead and let you off the hook. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all our supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have helped make our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you from the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University, with a very special thank you to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.